it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And especially to Paul, our newest father. So thank you for being here. I was uh, asked if I would speak. They, I was told I had about 15 minutes, and I, I stretched a little bit. And it's, it's an honor to be up here and share a little bit. We're going to be talking about Acts 6 and 7. But before I get there, let me ask this question. How many fathers do you actually have as a Christian? Three. Three. Well, you have your natural father, who, gave, who was part of you being here in the first place. And you have Heavenly Father. Jesus, in, in John, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Not my Father, but our Father. So we have a Heavenly Father. And we have a spiritual Father in Abraham. Abraham was called to go to leave Mesopotamia and go into the land of promise. And he became the father of many nations. And anybody who has faith, Abraham is their spiritual father. So in a sense, we have three fathers. But I want to speak briefly about my father, not normally in a setting like this, more in a, in a, a smaller group. I'll mention something about my dad. The most patient person I have ever known, bar none. Now, you may look up, up at me and you say, well, John, you're a pretty patient person, but you know me in this setting, and I can hide it really well. But if I gave this to Lori and said, and she were asked, is John patient? Well, there are settings that I'm not patient. Not so with my dad. I saw him in a hurry two times in his entire life. He should have been in a hurry in other settings. I'll share one of them. We were, he was passing a car on Highway 2 east of Monroe. And uh, the car was going fairly slow, and so he's passing it, and he didn't kick the engine or the transmission down to a lower gear. And there was a truck, a semi-truck, coming right toward us. And he's going along at just above the speed of the car that we're passing. And that truck, I'm telling you, that truck sped up just to make a point. We got into the other lane, but barely. He needed to speed up, but he, that was his mindset. He was patient. He was always patient. Dad worked for Mercer Island School District for a number of years. He was in maintenance, so he, he handled the boilers and other things that would come up. While he was working, if the opportunity presented itself, he would share Christ with coworkers. And finally, uh, somebody complained, and he was pulled into the superintendent's office. Mr. Stuckey, you're kind of on school district time, and it's probably not something that you should be doing on school district time to share Christ with the bus drivers or the other teachers or, or whoever else you come across. So he asked this question, Why, can we do this? How about if you reduce my wages so that when I have that opportunity to share Christ, it'll be on my time? Any teachers in here think that that would fly today? <laughs> so the superintendent said, okay. And they did that. 
And the title of this is That Which is of Greatest Importance. It was more important to my dad to share Christ than it was to have a full paycheck. My first supervisor out of the fire academy had this saying. I loved working for this guy. He was a great mentor. He had this saying, if you have your health, you have everything. Now that really sounds good when we think about it as humans. It's important to have your health. But when you stand before God and you explain that because you are healthy, you should be led into heaven, that won't cut it. It's better to have not had your health and get into heaven than it is to have had your health and missed that opportunity. There's a man in scripture called Stephen. And I want to talk about him where he, when, when he evaluated his life, it was more important to him to risk his life than it was to save his life. Miss Lily, would you come up, please? She is going to read two verses out of Acts. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Thank you, my dear. Isn't that nice? <clears throat> that which is of greatest importance. So let me give you some of the background why Stephen's even in this position. We know that on, at Passover, Jesus was crucified rose from the dead three days later, spoke with the disciples for 40 days, and said, hang tough here in Jerusalem. I'm going to put it in our language. Don't go anywhere, just hang tough. Because there is a promise that's coming that's going to give you power. And that's, that was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost 10 days later. So we're now 50 days post-resurrection. When the Holy Spirit came, they were, the apostles were endued with tremendous power. They would, they would do things. Peter, if you could get into Peter's shadow, you might be healed. So, logistically, things weren't happening the way that we would have wanted them to happen. Logistics is important. And some of the Grecian widows were not being provided with their food the way that, that it should happen. So there was a complaint, and it gets up to the apostles, and they say, we can't take our time doing that. We're going to study the word of God. We're going to pray, and let's pick seven men in order to take care of that issue. And they did. And Stephen was the first one that was named. Now, as the story goes on, Stephen is a man full of power and full of the Holy Spirit, and he gets into a situation where he is discussing with some of the Jews who do not like to hear what he's saying. Stephen's telling them about God, and they, and they start to accuse him that God is going to, or this Jesus is going to destroy this holy place, the temple. And he wants to change, the, this, uh, God wants to change the customs that we have from Moses. That didn't set well. So one of the versions, when you read through this in chapter 6 of Acts, one of the versions says they caught him. 
it's almost as if he was trying to move away, and I can't, I'm not supposed to go off the rug, but I'm, I'm you know, I don't want to be caught. And they pull Stephen in, in front of the, the Sanhedrin, the council. And when he's standing in front of them, <clears throat> the accusations, which are false accusations, they start to fly. Stephen is said, is telling people that this Jesus is going to destroy this holy place. Well, if you remember back, there's a couple of situations where Jesus actually talked about the destruction that could happen. One place, he told the Jews early in John, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'm gonna raise it again. But he was talking about the temple of his body, not the, the physical temple, of the, the Jewish temple. So they, they probably used that and twisted it enough and, and made it look like or sound like that Jesus is gonna destroy this place. Second place that Jesus talked about the destruction was in Matthew 24. Matthew, he said, not one stone is gonna be left on top of another. So there's gonna be a destruction, but he didn't say he was gonna be the one to do it. Certainly somebody else is gonna do it. So they bring those issues forward. They're kind of half-truths, more like half their, their lies. You know, you get a little truth mixed in. It sounds good, and he's in front of the high priest. He's being accused of, this, of spreading these rumors about Jesus destroying this place and changing the customs that Moses gave them. Now, some of those customs that Moses may have talked about that were important, circumcision, and keeping the Sabbath. And when Stephen, if he were talking about those things, circumcision was of the heart, and the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. And so when those things were being discussed, they could twist those and make the accusation, and in front of the high priest, these lies were being thrown out there. And Stephen, now, if, if I were Stephen's counsel, I would say, Mr. High Priest, hang on just a second. Let me counsel my client. Stephen, come on over here, but I can't go off the rug. Come over here. Just deny it. They know it's a lie. You know it's a lie. Just deny it. And you'll save your skin. But to Stephen, what, that which was most important was not to save his skin. His life was at risk. What was more important was to preach the gospel. So instead of arguing with the high priest, he goes back to Abraham, who is our spiritual father. And he said, he tells him the story of Abraham being called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of Mesopotamia. And he says, go to this place that, that I show you. Stephen doesn't know exactly where, where or, or Abraham doesn't know, and it's Abram at the time, doesn't know exactly where he's going to be going, but he obeys, and he leaves, and his father actually goes with him to uh, a place, uh, Haran. Thanks, Ken. You know that. And then finally he moves into the, the promised land, and he, every place that he goes was not yet, even though it was a promise, it was not yet given to him. Because in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Stephen looking for a place whose builder and the foundations were built by God, not a physical place. And yet Stephen was in this promised land. So, 
He didn't receive that promise. Interestingly enough, the promise that God gave him that he would be the father of, my, of many nations came through Isaac. And yet God told Stephen to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham believed that God was going to rise, raise him from the dead. And in a sense, he received him back from the dead, in a sense, even though he didn't actually go through with the act. Now, Stephen is relaying that, and he talks about another promise that Abraham was given. Your people are going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. That ended up being Egypt. And through circumstances, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs, the Israelites end up in Egypt. And a, a pharaoh comes along that doesn't know Joseph. And he's frightened. And so he starts treating the Israelites as slaves. And for 400 years, they are enslaved in Egypt. God promised that he was going to pull them out. And he did it with a redeemer, with a deliverer. And that person was Moses. Now, as Moses comes into the, into the story, as Stephen is telling the high priest, the high priest knows all of this. Stephen's telling the story, and he says, this Moses sees an Egyptian. Now, this, he's four, he, Moses, Moses is 40 years old, and he is, a, he is the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. So he's pretty high up in the system in in Egypt. Moses sees an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Israelite and he kills the Egyptian. Whew. Okay, day two. Moses sees two Israelites in an argument. One is mistreating the other. And Moses says to them, brothers, don't do this. Don't mistreat each other. And the one who is mistreating the other one pushes Moses away and says, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? Who made you ruler and judge? Hmm. There is the story that Stephen is focusing on when he is telling this to the high priest. Because Moses comes back as ruler and judge. And Moses tells the Israelites, a day is coming that there's a prophet, and you have to listen to that prophet. Well, that prophet that Moses predicted was Jesus. And the Israelites had said to him, who made you ruler and judge? He's ruler and judge. They didn't recognize that. Stephen accuses them of killing the king of glory. They were very upset at Stephen when he made that accusation. And as Josh and I were talking a little bit earlier, that's, that is when the, the fangs came out. And they dragged Stephen out of the city. And as they began to stone him, he is looking up into heaven, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. When you read the first chapter of Hebrews, it says when Christ made atonement for sin, he went, he went into heaven and he sat down in heaven. 
Yet Stephen sees him standing. Why? That's my question. Why? Two things I can come up with. Jesus is about ready to welcome Stephen into heaven because he's being stoned. And or he is really upset with what's going on. They are stoning, this is, they are stoning a man of God who has performed miracles, who has served Christ, who has done exactly what he's supposed to do, and a man who chose to not try to save his own skin because he deemed this was the most important thing to share the gospel with them instead of argue. Stephen says it twice. He sees it and he says it. I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God the Father. And then he, he says one last thing. Father, don't hold this against them. Maybe he was talking about Paul, the, who became, at the time was Saul, became Paul the Apostle. And God miraculously saved him because the story moves right from Stephen into Saul and his conversion. And my question then for you is, thinking of Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father, is he standing to welcome you into heaven or to judge you? Hmm. The former is better. How do you get to that point? Now, this was intended to be a salvation message. Now, I'm looking along here. I'm guessing most of you, every one of you, already has put your trust in Jesus Christ, already calls him Savior and Lord, and will see him maybe standing and welcoming you into heaven at that time. If not, or if somebody looks at this video later on, and that does not describe you, then you do need to put your trust in Christ. That's the gospel. Because when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was to redeem you, to cleanse you of sin, which all of us have, and to allow you to see Jesus stand and welcome you into heaven. If that describes you, talk to one of us, me, Pastor Ron, Ken, one of the elders, or somebody else. Pull him aside and say, what is this about? That would be the most important day of your life. Not Father's Day. Father's Day, yes, it may be important, I, I did get a, uh, this morning got a phone call from my son, our oldest son, Josh, another Josh. He called and he said, uh, uh, before he, I, I said, happy Father's Day to him before he could say anything. It's got, it was like a race. Happy Father's Day. And he said, my wife told me to wish you happy Father's Day before I told you about the structure fire that I, just, that I went on, last, on my last shift. Forget the Father's Day, tell me about the fire. I wanna know about that. So he, so he spent the next 15 or 20 minutes telling me about the fire. There is a time to put your trust in Christ. There's a time 
to say Happy Father's Day. There's a time to be in church. There's a time. This is the time. Today is the day of salvation, if that does not describe you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can call you Father because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that which is of greatest importance is our relationship to you through Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. It is what is of greatest importance. Thank you, Lord, that, that you did that. Thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that we have the choice, that you even gave us the choice to come to Christ. If anyone here has not done so, if anyone listening to this later on has not done so, they can say this simple prayer, just talking to God. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have disobeyed you. I know I need a savior. I ask Jesus to be my savior. I believe that you, that you rose, raised him from the dead, and I want you to be Lord and savior of my life. In Jesus' name.